welcome tonight. Glad each and every one of you is here. Uh, we have a course going on at the same time, just so you're aware. We've got about 50-some people in the finishing the marriage seminar up, up in the, in fact, it's so large we had to move them up into the, uh, into the gymnasium over next door. So uh, that's where a lot of people are, but we're glad you're here tonight. We're going to continue tonight to learn about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But before we do, let me ask this question. Is anyone here tonight, this is your very first time at a service at Faith Christian Center. If you'd raise your hand, we have a, well, we've got two of them right up front, three. I've met Alan's brother over here. If you hold your hand up, the ushers are going to give you a welcome packet. Once you've received that welcome packet, you may put your hand down. These two ladies right here in the third row, wonderful. If you'd take the time during the service to fill that card out, and when the offering container comes by at the end, if you'd place that card in the container, that way we have a record of your visit. We'd just like to send you a letter thanking you for, who, for being here. Thank you for who you are. We'll grasp for that too, but thanking you for being here tonight. Uh, but, the, but the pen and the brochure are yours to keep. Take those home. The brochure tells you a little bit about who we are and what's going on around here. And if you'd read that later on, please, uh, um, that way uh, get familiar with us a little bit. Praise God. Well, I just want to, uh, again, I mentioned that we have the seminar going on next door. And... Uh, Let's pray. That'd be a good thing to do right now, wouldn't it? Father, we thank you tonight. We can worship you and honor you tonight. You are a good God, God, and you're a great God, and you have done and continue to do great things. And the things that you've done of old that we read about in your Bible, Lord, you're still doing today because you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so, Father, we come tonight. We want to learn more about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He is the part of you that you have given to your church. You've given us what we need, Father. We just need to learn more of who he is and how to flow and cooperate with him. And we're just trusting you to do that tonight, Father. And so, Lord, as we open the Word of God together, we're trusting just exactly that, the Holy Spirit, to take what you have in your heart to share with us tonight and bring that forth through my heart and through my lips, Father, and through my understanding. And may everything that I share, Father, be pleasing in your sight in everything that we do. And for that, we thank you in advance. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, as I uh, shared with you last week, I had an elders meeting, which I decided to hold on very short notice. And so, I asked Pastor Ray to fill in, and I asked him specifically to minister on a subject he ministers to regularly to the new members class on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And as I was pulling up my notes, I realized it fit in exactly with what would have been taught last week anyway. And I know he did a great job. He always does with that. And we're going to move on. We're talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit and why he is so vital. And it's really what's so strong in my heart, and even tonight as I was praying here before the service started. And I was going over, you know, well, why, Lord, why are we doing this? What, you know, is this just something to fill in? Is this something we need to know? Or is there some real message in this for us tonight? I mean, it's fine if we just do a teaching. This is out of the School of Ministry material I've taught for years uh, here. And, uh, and I've doing some of these courses. We did Renewing the Mind a little while ago, and we're doing, which I've done several times in a Wednesday night setting. And we're doing this now. Um, but I, Lord, there's got to be some message for today. Message for now. Current message. What is it? And he brought me back, I felt, to something that's been in my heart for a while, which is out of 2 Corinthians chapter 2, where Paul said, I did not come to you, the church at Corinth, with enticing words of man's wisdom. And, and he was very capable of that, highly educated, extremely uh, literate, well, uh, a very uh, articulate man. Uh, but he said, I've chosen not to come with you with man's ideas and man's verbiage, but I want to come to you in, in, with the message of nothing more than Jesus Christ and Him crucified, and to come to you in the demonstration and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I realize, you know, today I've been praying, earlier this week I've been praying for a while, Lord, where is that power? 
If, you know, some people believe that, well, the power was just for the early church in order to get the church born because they didn't have the Bible. Now that we have the Bible, we don't need that. Well, they need to read the newspaper and see what kind of world we're living in. We have a generation of teenagers that have been raised in church. 94% of children raised in church, when they become adults and out of teen ministry, drift away from church. Why? Well, the number one thing that they say is that there's nothing relevant there. What the teenagers want to hear, what young people want to hear, what we should want to hear, it's just that we become used to what we have, is something that's relevant, that's real, that's, that's tangible, that's not just religion where we come to church and we feel good about ourselves because we've heard a nice message, we've sung some nice songs, and we leave here but we've not been changed and we're not going out into a world to bring a, a message that changes other people's lives. And the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians, it's in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, that this gospel is the power of God. Think about that. The power of God. Not some, not, it's the power of God to salvation. And that word is a huge word in the Greek. It's a big word that means almost everything you need. It doesn't just refer to the saving of your soul so you don't go to hell and get to go to heaven. It, it means wholeness in every aspect. It means health. It means protection. It means provision. It means success. It means the very best of God's blessing in your life. And the, the Word of God is the power of God to change lives. And not, I mean, change lives so it's dramatically changed so people can tell when they look at you, whoo, you're not the same person you used to be. And then they want to know what happened to you. That's the greatest witness that we can be. And so where is that power? That's just as much needed today as it was back in the first century and maybe even more. So not only that, the Bible tells us in Hebrews 13, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, and what we're talking about in the book of Acts, this is the one book in the Bible that doesn't end. Because this is the story of the birthing of the church. And we're still in the church age. So although the, the, the text here ends, the message of the Acts of the Apostles don't end. What we've been learning and looking at is, what, what, is what, when, when the church was birthed, it was birthed on the day of Pentecost, which this last Sunday celebrate was a Pentecost Sunday. In the, in, the, in the schedule of things. And what it was, and Pastor Ray talked about that last week, no doubt, is the Holy Spirit was poured out. Jesus told the disciples in Matthew, in John, slow down, John, Acts chapter 1, uh, to wait in Jerusalem. He says, you don't have everything you need. In fact, Luke 24, he says, wait in Jerusalem until you've been endued with power from on high. You, I've taught you, I've trained you, I've died for you. I've been raised from the dead. You've seen me die. You've seen me raised from the dead. And that's not enough for what I'm calling you to do. You need to be equipped with something. And what we've learned is he said, you need to be equipped with what I've been equipped with. And so he told them to wait until that equipment came. And that equipment, of course, is the Holy Spirit. And he told them, and Pastor Ray talked about that last week. So we're going to pick up with that. What, is, what difference did he make to the church? We're going to look tonight at the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the church itself. And we're going to watch, see a trend here. And the trend is it, was it starts out, everything that's done is done at His direction and by His ability. And, we're, and as, as, a, as the book of Acts goes on, what you see is there are fewer and fewer references to Him. And more and more references to their own meetings, their own counsel, their own decisions. Because the tendency is when people don't know what to do, 
They have to rely on the Holy Spirit. But then as we begin to get smart and figure this all out, and we organize into committees and denominations and movements, we don't need the Holy Spirit as much because now we have an idea of what we're doing, and we institutionalize the church. And when we do that, we take the power out of the church. And so it becomes a church of programs and of principles and of doctrines, and the doctrines are good, the programs are good, but where's the power? The power doesn't come from the programs. The power doesn't come from the doctrines. The power, do, the power comes from the power Jesus said in the beginning. You need to wait in Jerusalem until you're endued, clothed with power from on high. Not power that comes from the soundboard or the nice lighting system, but power that comes from on high. And the church desperately needs that power again today. So we're going to look at different aspects of what the Holy Spirit did. Throughout the church, the Spirit is the one that brings leadership. He directs the acts of the church. In fact, it's called, see what it's called in my Bible. It's called, it's called, it's called, I know it's called something, the Acts of the Apostles. But it would be more accurate to say the Acts of the Holy Spirit the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. So he is the story of the Holy Spirit directing the act. You understand, in Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2, they had no idea what was happening. Because Jesus, before he left, he didn't say, all right, I'm going to go to the Father now, and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and he's going to help you start a church. He's going to call the Christian church, and it's going to get divided into the dump. No, it's going to, you know, he didn't tell him what was going to happen. He just told them something to do. Oh, this is good. He didn't tell them to form something. He didn't tell them to organize something. He told them to go and do something. I'm gonna, that's good. I'm going to say that over here so I get to say it again. He didn't tell them to form and organize something. An organization's good. He didn't tell them. He told them to go do something. And in the course of doing something, they had to organize but the problem with man comes is we begin to worship the organization and stop the doing. Or we let the organization get in the way of the doing. And the power of the Spirit was so that we could go do the works that He told us to go do and to bring the gospel into all the world. And so Jesus trained them and equipped them. He, sent, he did His part. And what you see in the beginning is because they had no clue what they were doing, they knew they were dependent upon Him. And so they would wait upon Him. Imagine that, waiting on the Lord. They wouldn't do something without getting His instructions because they knew they weren't smart enough to know what to do. But we've become, and I'm talking to all of us, I'm talking to pastors and all of us, we've become, and especially pastors, we've become so trained and educated and so smart that we don't need to wait on God because we've got programs and committees and things to know what to do and we really don't know any more than they did back then. The, di the difference is we don't know that we don't know and they knew they didn't know. And so you see the pattern as you go through the book of Acts and we're not going to do that in any depth but as you go through the book of Acts you see this trend that the further on you go it represents about 30 to 40 years. The further on you go, what happens is you see the Holy Spirit referred to fewer and fewer times, and you see fewer and fewer demonstrations. In the beginning, there are demonstrations all over the place. Supernatural things happening all over the place, and they begin to die out, not because the apostles die off, but because they stop trusting in Him, stop needing Him. So we're going to just look at some of the things that, that He did. And so uh, I put together... 
a, a, a list here. We're going to go through about 12 things. And um, see if I can get this to work. It was working earlier today. Whoops, wrong. Yeah, update. No, I don't want to update now. Where am I? Okay, here we go. Mm. Not looking good. It was working when I walked in. Well, we're going to have to do it by telling you it. Hit it. <laughs> is is Keynote active back there? All right, I'll try it again. Technology is wonderful when it works. No, it's it's still looking. It's there. See, it's there. It's telling me it's looking for something. I'm trying to tell you where it is. It doesn't listen to me. All right. Can you just start playing it? Otherwise, I'll just start going through it. Okay. They'll get to it. We're going to go through a series of things, of scriptures, to show you how the Holy Spirit was involved. In, in just little snippets, but it gives you, a, I want to give you a flavor. Uh, in Acts chapter... Uh, in the beginning, we already mentioned earlier about P Peter and John. There we go. Peter and John. Uh, let me see if I got it. Um, uh, they received... No. All right. We'll just you have you do it. Okay. Uh, Peter and John, uh, when they, they were arrested for, for healing this lame man and causing a commotion, and they're brought before... The, they're brought before the, 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 the Sanhedrin, and they're basically to be charged with something, but they don't know what to charge them with, so they're going to threaten them. And here you've got Peter, who only five weeks earlier was, was denying Christ to a young girl that couldn't do anything to him, is now standing up with incredible boldness, telling them that the, one, the name that they just used to raise this man up is the name of the man you crucified, and this was the Messiah, the Son of the God that the Scriptures tell, and he's been proven he's the Messiah because he's been raised from the dead, and it's in his name that this was done. So Peter has a boldness that didn't come out of his... He had a boldness in his personality before, during Jesus' earthly ministry, and that boldness kept getting him in trouble. And eventually he found that that boldness wasn't going to carry him through when it come face to face with the crucifixion. But the boldness of the Holy Spirit inside of him gave him a supernatural boldness that allowed him to stand up and speak the gospel right in the face of the very people that could have him executed. In fact, later on, Peter is arrested and he's sentenced to be executed the next morning. He's sentenced to be beheaded the next morning. And the confidence that he has, which is supernatural, it's the Spirit of God in him, is so strong that when an angel shows up to get him out, the angel has to kick him and wake him up. Now imagine you're going to be beheaded in the morning. This is your last night, and you're sleeping so soundly that an angel, just an angel appearing, would wake you up. He's got to shake him or kick him and wake him up and tell him we got to get out of here. So Peter is now a boldness that's not the boldness he had before. It's a boldness that comes from the Holy Spirit. And one of the things the Holy Spirit brings to us when we're filled with the Holy Spirit especially is a boldness not in ourselves. I've been ministering at times and I've just felt the boldness of the Holy Spirit come on me and said something with such confidence and boldness. I knew it was going to happen. 
And I got out of the pulpit later on and the anointing lifted and I said, oh my goodness, what did I just say? That's a long story to go into, but it was a church I was pastor before and it was like we were helping a ministry that was at a tent and I just said, by the end of this month, this church will pay that tent off. I had no idea how much was owed. Never batted an eyelash. And, and it's a long story, but right down to the last minute, and exactly what needed to come in, came in. Remember that? I, it was not me, because I, I would never be that bold, because what happens if it doesn't happen? You know? But when the Spirit of God comes upon you, He brings a boldness. He brings a boldness. Uh, let's go to Acts chapter 6. You can put that first. He can hit it once. Acts chapter 6, verse 5. This is Stephen. What's happened here, you can't get it to work? No, that's the Scripture. There we go. Oh, that's the... You go to the two slides up. Go to the first live slide. It has a number 1 at the beginning. Nope. Go up one more slide. There we go. That's leave it there. It empowered the disciples. I've already talked about Peter. We're going to look now at Acts chapter 6. I know I got him doing two things at the same time back there. And you're doing fine. Okay. Acts chapter 6, verse 5. Now, what's happened is the apostles were waiting on the tables because everybody was eating their meals together and basically living together. The apostles were waiting on the tables and, and, and they just finally realized this isn't working. We need to spend time what we're really called to do, which is in prayer and in studying the Scriptures and in ministering to you. So they were going to select basically table waiters, people who were going to go around and serve the food and take care of the natural means of the people. And this is how they chose them. This is Acts chapter 6, verse 5. And the saying pleased the whole multitude and they chose Stephen a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. So to wait tables, they made sure they had somebody full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. Well, I guess that became important because they started squabbling among themselves as to who was getting served and who wasn't getting served. So even to serve tables in church, you need to be full of the Holy Spirit. And Philip and Prochorus and Nacor and Timon Timon and the other guy and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they laid hands on them... Well, let's go down to verse 8. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. So Stephen, not an apostle, Stephen, chosen initially basically to wait tables. And the, the requirement to be a deacon, which in the Greek literally means a table waiter, the, the requirement to be a, a servant in the church... To be like an usher, sort of, is you had to be you had to be full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because you were going to need boldness to operate, boldness, to, and this spilled out, and he began miracles began to perform by him. Not an, not an apostle; he was just a table waiter. Okay, let's go down to verse ten. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Okay, and later, of course, he gets executed for what he said. And we're not going to go through that story, but he stands, he stands as they're ready to stone him, and his face is shining. He's looking into heaven, and he's just filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, let's go to the next, hit the next one, number two. Just hit enter. There you go. He, the Spirit of God directed Philip to minister to an individual. So we'll look at Acts chapter 8. 
Acts chapter 8, verse 26. This is another one of the table waiters. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, an angel spoke to him, saying, Arise and go towards the south, along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, and there is a desert, not a desert, a desert. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, who was the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, had come to Jerusalem to worship. So this man is, a, is an Ethiopian, and he is serving in the court of the queen, Candace. And, and he has gone to Jerusalem to worship because he's a proselyte, which means he's converted to Judaism, but he doesn't know anything. And on the way back, he's in this chariot, and he's got a scroll, which is what their Bible was, and he's trying to understand it, and he doesn't understand it. Verse 28, And was returning, we're going back to Ethiopia, and sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. So an angel's told Philip to go down on this road. The Spirit, verse 29, said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I understand unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. And, pl- and he placed the scriptures where he was reading, said, And he was led by the, as a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before the shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth, and his humiliation, his justice was taken away. Who will declare this generation? Well, I've got to go down to verse 39. I'm sorry. And so they came up out of the water. So basically he reads the scripture to him and he says, who's he talking about? And he preaches Christ to him. So the first thing to see is Philip is put into this situation because the Holy Spirit told him to go talk to this man. An angel directed him there, but now that he's there, this Holy Spirit tells him instructions of what to go do. And now, once he's in the situation, he knows what to do because common sense just tells him how to finish this conversation. And the man's asking him, what is the scripture about? And he tells him about the Messiah. It's talking about the Messiah. And he tells him who the Messiah is. And having said that, the, the, um, the man says, what must I, you know, he says, what must I do? He says, you must believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he did that in the community. He said, is there anything stopping me from being baptized? So he went down in the water. Now verse 39. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing. The eunuch did. So the Spirit of God tells him to go talk to him. And now once he's finished his mission and he's baptized in water, comes up out of the water, the Holy Spirit literally snatches him away. And he finds himself on another road. Now that word, snatch away, is the same word that we find in 1 Thessalonians that is used for the rapture of the church. It's a snatching away. It's a, it's a grabbing suddenly somebody and picking them up out of that situation. So the Spirit not only directed him, but he also, hit number three, hit the next one. I got ahead of myself here. Just he snatches Philip away. So he's directing things. That's what I want you to see. All through these, these are the examples because they don't know what to do. They don't have a program. They haven't been to seminary. They're just trying to follow some kind of leadership. But what they all have, that they have in common is that, first of all, they know they don't know what they're doing. And they know they need to listen because the Spirit of God has been given to them 
to direct them because the one thing Jesus said you need is to be filled or baptized with the Holy Spirit and you will receive power. And here's an example. It literally, it's like Dr. Spock. Anybody remember any Trekkies here? You know, they get in the booth and they they show up somewhere else. Well, this isn't, this just snatches them away and drops him down. And verse 40 said, Philip was found at Azos, which is about, let's see. See, I think there's a note here. No, I thought I had a note. It's like 10 miles away or so. And he preached in all the cities and came to Caesarea. Now, that would get your attention if you're finished the baptism service and suddenly you're not there. And the next thing you know, you're on the road to Azos. You know, it's like, whoa, this is, there's power here. Now, remember, he's not an apostle. He's just a church member that's serving tables. He's a, like an usher or he's just in the ministry of helps. But God's using him because he's available. He's using him because he's available. Let's go over to Acts chapter 10. And you can hit enter. And we'll go to number four. There we go. Now this is an amazing story. We've talked about this. We talked about the gospel. It's an amazing story. And it's about uh, how the gospel, the, the, Lord, the, the Holy Spirit now, His mission is to bring the gospel now to the Gentiles. It was first brought to the Jews. Everybody that was saved in the beginning were Jews. And they were converted from Jews to Christians, and I want to get into it. Actually, they're completed Jews, but we don't want to get into that this, this evening. But now it's time, in the Spirit's direction, to bring the gospel to Gentiles. And there's a man who's a, who's a Roman officer named Cornelius, who is in Caesarea, and he is a devout man. He's been seeking God. He's been reading the Scriptures. He apparently supports the synagogue, and he has been seeking God for he doesn't, know what he, he doesn't know what he's looking for, but he's seeking God. He wants God. He wants to know what God wants for him, his life. Now what you've got to overcome is this obstacle because Jews in that day did not talk to Gentiles. They couldn't even associate with them because Gentiles were considered unclean. And they could talk at them, but they couldn't really interact with them. Not only that, Jews were under the law were certain list of foods that they could not eat. And so God, through the Holy Spirit now, wants to open up the gospel to an entire new group of people, which he had prophesied to Abraham in the beginning, because he said, you will be the father of many nations, not just the nation of Israel. And God's blessing was to come upon other nations, and we're glad because most of us are included in that, because most of us do not have a, 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 a Jewish heritage in our DNA. And so this is what's going to happen here, and what I want you to see is the, the Spirit of God's role in this. So what's happened is an angel's appeared. Uh, first of all, Peter is having lunch, getting ready for lunch. They're cooking lunch downstairs, so Peter goes up on the roof, and their roofs were not like ours. They were flat. So he's up in there praying, and he has a, goes into a trance and has a vision, and in this vision there's a sheet that comes down, with all kinds of animals that are not appropriate, they're not illegal to eat, called unclean animals. And then a voice speaks from heaven saying, Peter, rise and eat. And Peter's answer is, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. And so he's getting his attention. And then an angel appears to him and tells him to, 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 that there's going to come. So he's got a vision, 
He gets an angel speaking to him. All this supernatural stuff to convince Peter it's okay to leave where he is and go talk to a Gentile. Because this is foreign. This would never enter into Peter's thinking. So in the meantime, God speaks to Cornelius and tells him to send, an angel tells him to send men to Joppa where Peter is to, 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 to bring him to tell you words. And when we talked about the gospel, I told you, isn't that amazing? With all this super, you've got visions, you've got angels appearing, you've got the Holy Spirit speaking. With all this supernatural activity, why didn't God just have an angel preach the gospel to Cornelius? Because God has ordained that the gospel should be preached for men's voices. He's ordained that to men's job. Under the direction and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, but we're called to open our mouth and to share the gospel. So all the supernatural activities going on to get Peter, who can't possibly understand in his natural mind what he's supposed to do, to leave Joppa and follow these Gentile men and go into this Gentile's house, which he wasn't permitted to do, and then speak to them and speak the gospel to them, open the gospel up to give the Messiah that the Jews had been waiting for for hundreds of years and give him to Gentiles. You and I have trouble understanding what a huge step that would have been for Peter. So it required supernatural things. So now Peter's been told, you're going to have some men come, and this, this is what we're going to read right now. This is what we're going to read right now. Acts 20, X, uh, 10, verse 19. Is that what I, you got up there? Okay. And while Peter thought about the vision, the sheet coming down, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. And then he goes on and says, Arise and go down with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. So the Spirit of God is telling him that he has sent them. This is his idea. So Peter had enough faith in the Holy Spirit to violate every law he knew, basically, every tradition, and go do something that was totally foreign to him. Okay, so Peter went down to them. Now we're going to go... Okay, over to chapter 11. And you can hit it because we're going to go to number 5. It directs the Spirit... Oh, I got ahead of myself. Now it, now it tells Peter to go with these men. Chapter 11, verse 2. Whoops. 12. At the, very men, three, at the very moment, three men stood before the house where I was. He's now reporting back to Jerusalem what happened. At the very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea, and the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. Peter's now got to go give an account of why he took the gospel to Gentiles, and he's trying to say, look, it wasn't my idea. The Spirit made me do it. <laughs> All right. So what I want you to see here is here there's things God wants to do that they don't understand what it's about. They don't have a, they don't have a plan. They haven't been to a church growth seminar and told, you know, what you've got to do is you go to a certain point and it's not going to grow anymore. Now you've got to open it up to the Gentiles. So here's what you've got to do. You've got to find some devout man who's been giving alms and his heart's right, and you've got to go bring the gospel to them. They weren't going down through some, some program that they got at a church growth seminar. They've got no clue what they're doing, but the 
God, the, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, who is the head of the church. This is what's happening here. Jesus is the head of the church. He's directing the church through the Holy Spirit who lives in them. Who lives in them. The angel didn't live in them. The angel appeared to them. The vision wasn't in their mind. The vision was out of them and came down. But the direction of the Spirit came from within them. And they know that Jesus is the head, but He directs them through the Spirit who indwells them. And somehow we think that we shouldn't be doing the same thing today. But we'll get there later on. Okay. So now he's reporting, he said it was the Spirit that did that. He had a vision about, well, we already talked about all that. Okay, let's go, um, hit, hit, it, hit enter again. We're going to go to number 6. Acts chapter 11, verse 27. Now what's going on is the Spirit's going to warn them about something. Verse 27. And in those days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus, he's not, a, he's not an apostle. Note at that stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which had also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling back in Judea. What's happened now is the center of the church has moved from Jerusalem to Antioch, which is a bit north of Jerusalem and on the coast. And now what's happened is there's, an, there's a famine coming on the land. And the Holy Spirit, through just one of, the, one, of the, one of the members of the church, by the Spirit is inspired to speak out, most likely by prophecy, that, or some kind of demonstration, because prophecy is not always words. Sometimes it can be a demonstration of something. And because at some point we'll see that down the road. And that there was a famine coming on the land. Now it's interesting here. So the Spirit tells them something is going to happen. How they handle it and what they do about it, he didn't tell them what to do about it. He just told them there's a famine coming. So now they've got to use their own brains and their own reasoning to figure out what to do. So that when the Spirit, this is what, when you're learning how to be led by the Spirit, what's very important is to be very, very clear on what he told you and what he didn't tell you. Because one of the things that happens sometimes is the Spirit gives you a word and you make a sentence out of it. We start connecting the dots. The Spirit of God says this and now we think, well, that means this and that means this. You need to, when you're trying to discern what, what somebody said, well, you know, the Spirit told me, well, what did He say? Well, it was that, what did He say? Well, He just gave me a word. All right, do you know what that means? No. Then put it on the shelf until you know. Don't make something out of that. Here it was clear. There's a famine coming. He didn't tell them what to do, so now they can use their own common sense of what to do. If he told them there was a famine coming and then told them what to do. I mean, in, back in the Old Testament, Joseph got a vision. Remember Joseph when he was in the, in the prison and he's brought up and God as a gift of the Spirit, really, gives him a vision, a, a word of wisdom of what's going to happen. But he also gives him the knowledge of what to do about the situation. In this case, 
they had to use their own brains and their own planning. So sometimes when the Spirit of God is directing us, He tells us what's going to happen or what to do. Sometimes He tells us what to do and He doesn't tell us why. Say, why does that happen? I don't know. You'll have to ask Him. See, sometimes God doesn't, does things differently just so we'll have to trust what He says and not try to figure it out. He knows us because He made us. He knows our tendency is to try to figure things out. So God tells us this and we try to figure out what does that mean? I don't know unless He tells me. So, uh, we're just... Alright, that's what that's about. Okay. So the Spirit... Slow down, John. The Spirit showed them what was going to happen and then they determined what to do about it. It was just common sense. By the way, you can use common sense as a Christian. You can use common sense as a Christian. You can also use your brain and think. When we talked about the renewing of mind, I made clear to you that Romans 12.2 does not talk about the removing of the mind. It's the renewing of the mind. In order to renew it, you have to use it. Okay. Say, so, well, how do I know when to be led by the Spirit and when to think? Well, don't use your thinking as a substitution for what the Spirit says. So if He's not saying anything, think. Okay? Does everybody understand that? Alright, praise God. Whether you do or not, we're going to go on. Okay. Uh, hit, hit it again. It'll, it'll shift to the next slide. Okay. Whoops. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. Okay. Let's go to Acts chapter... Uh, oh, this is a great one. Acts chapter 13. Saul has now been called as an apostle, and he's now called uh, Paul. And in, in Acts chapter uh, 13... It says, this is at the church up in Antioch, where the church headquarters is now. There were a number of men that were just waiting on the Lord. And, uh, and verse 2 says, And as they ministered to the Lord, that just meant they were waiting on Him, they were worshiping, and they were loving on Him, they were serving Him in the sense of worshiping Him. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said to them, now separate to me, notice it was to him, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. This is often used in an ordination service where, where a church or an organization is ordaining somebody. But actually, if you understand the process correctly, we can't ordain anybody. The Holy Spirit ordains them. Ordain means to be set aside for a service. What a church does or a denomination does or somebody does is they recognize what they perceive that the Spirit of God has already done. Because notice what he says here. Set apart for me, separate for me, Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have already called them. But here he is, the Spirit's directing people's calling into ministry. He's saying, I have a purpose for their ministry, for their life. Now, if you read back, back in chapter 9, what you find out is Paul's, or Saul at the time, Saul's call for ministry was extraordinarily supernatural, and it came from the head of the church, because Saul was on his horse on his way to Damascus to arrest Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem to be punished. And at noonday, in Acts chapter 9, says, 
the sun began, the light began to shine out of heaven, brighter than the new day sun, and a voice spoke, and Saul fell off his horse, and the, the voice spoke to him and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I love that verse. Because Jesus didn't say, why are you persecuting my church? He didn't say, why are you persecuting my followers? He took personally what Saul was doing to Christians as being done to him. Because we are what? The body of Christ. If you come up and kick me in the shins, my head's going to take it personally. Why? Because my head has an identity that my shin is part of me as my head is part of me. And, and, and Saul was, was persecuting part of Christ's body and Christ took it personally. But he got his attention and then talks about, later on, he said, Saul is taken into the city and he's wasted there. He can't see now. And then so the Lord speaks to a prophet, speaks to not a prophet, he speaks to, to uh, no, a guy. I, his, his, his right up here. Um, and he tells him to go lay hands on Saul. Ananias, thank you. To go lay hands on Saul. And, 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 and he said, because I want to show him what I've called him to do. So Saul, later Paul, knew from the moment he was saved, Jesus had called him to something. Paul tells us in Galatians that he spent years in the Arabian desert receiving a revelation from Jesus, which was, became the message that Saul is well known for, which is the message of righteousness, which is most, basically two-thirds of the, of, the, of the New Testament that's not the Gospels. So he has all of this, but he's still waiting. He's still waiting. Isn't that interesting? Jesus spent 30 years preparing for ministry and accomplished it in three Saul spent somewhere around 15 years preparing. And we get a word from the Lord when to rush right out and do it. Maybe that's why they were effective. Because there's a training period. And this isn't my purpose tonight. But when you're called into any kind of ministry, whether it's a full-time pulpit ministry or whatever the ministry is, there's always three sections to it. There's the point when you're called. Then there's a period where you're, there's the preparation and then there's a place where you're released into it. And the calling can be in an instant. The releasing can be in a moment. But the preparation takes time. And the preparation is almost always an internal preparation. It's the development of your character. It's the development of discipline. If I told you the story, and I have at some point parts of it, of what I went through in preparation to stand in this position as a pastor of this church, the confidence that I have to stand in this position is nothing in me, but it's I know what God took me through internally. Internally, that when He released me into it, He knew I was ready. So I don't have to worry about it. I don't know if I was ready for it, because there are many days I don't, there's no way I feel ready to do this, but God has determined that I was ready because He's the one that released me into it. And that's what the Holy Spirit's doing here. He's the one that knows when it was time. He's the one that knows when it's time. And, and they were waiting on Him. I'm sure they weren't waiting on Him to find out when Saul should be released. They're just waiting on Him. And that's a lost art today. We're in a hurry to hear from God. 
And, you know, we live in a very fast-paced generation where things happen. We get instant food, instant G- emails. Instant. Emails are, sl- are slow now. It's texting, and there's even faster stuff than that now. It's going to get faster than that. And so we get so impatient. But God, is, God isn't, God isn't a, up to technology. I mean, He doesn't work by technology. I mean, you might get a text from Him tomorrow morning, but <laughs> don't expect that. But things happen with Him the same way they've always happened. And sometimes it just takes patience and getting quiet. And it's hard to get quiet. My wife felt led today. She said, I really feel the Lord is telling me to take a, just a quiet day. And we had a quick lunch together. She says, it's hard to be quiet. <laughs> it's hard to just slow down because we have such a fast-paced life. And even if you're physically sitting down, your mind's running. And so sometimes we just have to sit and be quiet so we can hear and just not do all the talking. Sometimes when we're, when we're in a prayer meeting, we do all the talking. And I'm, I'm one of the worst offenders at that. We do all the talking and we don't do a lot of listening. And the old adage, an old, old, old southern preacher says, One day I was on the floor crying out to God for hours and it suddenly dawned on me, here lies a fool doing all the talking to a God who knows everything. Selah. Okay, we'll cover one more. Let's see. Um, okay, hit the next one. Let me see what it is. Yeah, well, he called Paul and Barnabas for the ministry. So he set them aside. He called them. Uh, we can move on to um, go hit the next one. Okay, Acts chapter 15. Now, what's happened here, and I'll have to do this quickly. What's happened here is there is a... Um, there came a point because there was pressure that built up in the church after a period of time from the Jews to, 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 to uh, they didn't, you understand, they didn't know what had happened. They didn't know that, that Christ through the Spirit had birthed a church, had birthed the church. In fact, that term wasn't even used for quite a while in the book of Acts. And, 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 and so they didn't understand what they had. So there's confusion over it. And you've got a whole group that are trying to, to say, well, what's really happened here is that, is that this is just an, a little bit of an expansion of Judaism. So we, yes, we need to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, but we, still, we need to still practice all the, all the rituals that we did under the law of Moses. And then you had a group that says, no, 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 no. And the real problem now is Paul has gone and taken the gospel to the Gentiles and come back. And this just shows you Paul's humility. God told him to take him to the Gentiles. He takes him to the Gentiles. Churches are birthed in Philippi and Thessalonica and Corinth. And they're birthed and he comes back and reports. Excuse me, no, verse 1 was not there. The first one was in Asia Minor. Uh, he comes back and reports to them that the Gentiles have been receiving the gospel and he submits to the council of the church to decide whether that was right or not. The Apostle Paul. So they have this big church council. And James, Jesus' half-brother, seems to be the leader of the church at this point. And we're going to look at Acts 15. So they, they have this council. They discuss it back and forth. So the council's meeting... 
and a dispute arose. And verse 8 said, as they're speaking, uh, Peter arose and said to the men of Jerusalem, you know, you know by good will now that God chose among and among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, verse 8, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. So the Spirit of God given to them, to the Gentiles, was evidence that God had wanted the church to open up and include the Gentiles. Everybody with me? Okay. So... I got ahead of myself because then the council goes into this issue of whether or not that's permissible and what Paul was doing was permissible. Let's see if we got time for one more. Okay, yeah, hit it again. Let's go to Acts 16. And this is great. I, I was trying to put a map up there. But Paul is going back on his second missionary journey. His first one was into where what we now call Turkey, which was Asia Minor back then. And now he's going to go on the same route again, and he's going to go to the northern part of it called Bithynia, or in the gospel sometimes it's called Asia. And what happens is, in, um, let's see, where are we? Verse 6, okay. Now when they'd gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia, which is a a, a Roman province in Turkey, okay? Now what's going to happen is, Paul now tries to go in another part, and an angel appears to him, a Macedonian appears to him, telling him where to go. So see all the supernatural things happening? Because again, they don't have a roadmap here. So the Spirit of God tells them, forbids them to go into one area, so they know not to go into their area, but he doesn't know where to go. So now there is a vision of a, a Macedonian, which is a Greek appearing to him, so now he feels the Spirit of God's telling him, instead of going into the northern part of Turkey, we're to go across into, we're to go across into, into Greece. And that now brings the gospel on his second missionary journey over into the Grecian cities which he goes through. And what we're going to do is we'll have to pick up here and to finish the few that are left, and then we're going to go into other roles that he has. So what we've been talking about tonight is that the Spirit of God in the early church provided a direction for the church, how it was to be expanded. Well, why do we think it should be any different today? Well, we're not going to new countries, but we need to go into... I mean, there are places we need to go that, that, that the gospel hasn't gone in Providence. There are places in Seekonk the gospel hasn't gone. This is the most biblically illiterate part of the country. And so we're very much like the original disciples were. How do we bring the gospel? How do we bring it to this world around us right here between, fall, between New Bedford and Providence in this area? How do we bring the gospel in a way that reaches people? I think we need the direction of the Holy Spirit. And that's really been the point of tonight, that just as they needed His direction back then, we need His direction and His leadership now. And we need, you need it in your life and I need it in my life. One of the things we talked about. He's given to lead us into all truth, but that's not just the church here. That's your life. And I've shared stories with you when I was a lawyer about the number of situations where in the middle of a trial, something happened, and he showed me what to do to turn the situation around. But I need to turn this situation around right now, and we need, we need to end.